We serve a good God whose desire it is to get all of his children home. It's everybody in this room. It's everybody in this town. It's everyone in our neighborhoods. It's everyone on this planet. There's not an eye we've ever looked in that Jesus didn't die for. There's not a person who he doesn't value. Today we're going to talk a little bit, just a little bit, about aligning those values, about how that process, how that thing happens, where we align ourselves with God's values. Anybody have one of these? If you don't have one of these, ask someone near you. They'll be, they will certainly have one. You ever lose yours? Brendan and I were traveling. It's been several years ago now. Um, it comes onto the subject of no good deed goes unpunished. And uh, <clears throat> we had been traveling. It was a long flight. We'd been traveling for hours. And uh, we got to the, uh, to the airport. And we'd been sitting next to um, or in front of a, a, an older woman who... Um, that endured the same flight we had. It had probably been 12 hours, maybe longer. And um, I started to get up. I collected all my stuff. You know how you do, right? When you get out of an airplane, especially after you've been on it a long time, you look in the little pockets and you look at things and you say, where's, where's all my stuff? And I, I collected all my stuff. I stood up and I saw that she was struggling. She was struggling to get up. So, you know, it, it, like I said, it had been a long flight. She'd been trapped in that seat for a long time. And so I was, you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. So I, I laid down all my stuff. I literally laid it down on the seat where I had just gotten up. Most of that stuff was inconsequential. It was a piece of paper. This was my keys. It was, or not my keys. It was my, uh, my ticket I'd already used. So I, I laid it down. And in so doing, I laid my phone down. And I stopped and I helped her get out. I helped her get her bag. And um, she was on her way and I was on mine. And I never thought about the fact that I'd left my phone on the, phone on the seat. Um, it happened that we were at Heathrow Airport at the time. So getting it back was an issue. I, had other, I was going on from there. I, I'd forgotten it. I, I was off and gone and had returned home before I could even get a hold of them. I think we're going on a mission trip. So I called the airport. I knew what airline I was on. I knew what flight I'd been on. So I said, I, did anyone find a, play, a, a, a phone on this flight uh, at this date? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, we found it. Okay, great. Um, how do we know it's yours? I said, well, you just, you know, this is what it looks like. Uh, this is what the front of it looks like. I knew what my phone looked like. We all kind of know what our phones look like, right? So I said, okay, we confirmed this is your phone. Great. How do I get it back? Well, okay, we can ship it back to you. That'll be $200. So I'm thinking, 200 bucks to ship my phone back to me? Man, this is highway robbery. I said, oh, okay. There will be a $100 handling fee. If we found it on the plane, 
We put it in this box. We had to get it back out. And now we're going to put it in another box. It's very, very time consuming. I'm thinking 300 bucks. I mean, we're getting close to the value of this stupid phone. And I wonder if they thought they had me over a barrel. What they don't know is I back up my phone. The pictures on my phone are backed up. The addresses on my phone are backed up. I back up my phone on a regular basis. I'm kind of anal about backing up my phone on my computer, in fact. Then they told me the big British kicker. And there will be a $300 value-added tax. I want to know what value they added to my phone that was worth 300 bucks. I said, in the most polite voice I could muster in the moment, keep it. And I went and got another phone. Because for 600 bucks, I could get a brand new phone, put all my stuff from my computer on that phone, and they can do whatever they want with that other phone. They could throw it in the Atlantic as far as I was concerned at that point. I didn't value it that much. You get it? So last week, Now, this doesn't happen to me as much as it may sound. The other incident was like several years ago. So, last week, I was eating at Taco Bell. Please, no one come to me and tell me stop eating at Taco Bell because it's not going to work. (laughs) Let me just forewarn you. And now my phone looks like this. I have on my phone now, since Apple provided it, a thing called Find My Phone. If you don't have that, you should have that. So apparently, I I left the Taco Bell, got all the way back to my office, sat down in my office, started to work, and I was doing one of those things online where they, you have to, you know, you, you, you put in this program that's updating, and they check with you, and they say, oh, shall we send this confirmation to your phone, to your computer, to your whatever. I said, to my phone. And then I'm looking around for the confirmation to happen, and I realize I don't have my phone. Where's my phone? So I start running through my mind. Where have I been? Where was I last using my phone? Oh, I know. Taco Bell. Rockland Road, Taco Bell. So I go home, I get my iPad, and I look find my phone because I want to see if somebody found my phone and if it's gone. Well, well, actually, that's not true. First thing I did was rush over to Taco Bell and said, did you find a phone? They said, no. So then I went home, got my iPad, said, maybe somebody found my phone and now it's traveling down the road with someone. So Marlene and I had a conversation about that in the middle of which the old person who lives inside most days, most most hours of most days, stepped up. And I had to apologize for Marlene later because I, I, somebody's dealing with, somebody has my phone, Marlene said. I said, if somebody has my phone, I'm going to have to get it back. And Marlene said, it's just a phone, it's not worth going, you know. Some, she was giving me words of caution. <laughs> it's not worth dealing with all the, you know. And I said, no, they're going to have to deal with me if they've got my phone. <laughs> and here's why. Because now it has my license my credit cards, all of these personal identification things in it. Now I value it differently. I've actually thought about since then 
not doing this anymore. I do love having everything in one place. Figured out where my phone was, went back. Catherine actually took me back because she had find her phone on her phone and we could go to the place and look at it. So we're standing there in the parking lot and I'm looking at this map and I've got the map backwards because I'm not oriented very well by this little dinky map on her phone. So I see this dude sitting outside and I'm thinking, dude, you better not have my phone. And just about the time when we're about to greet and meet, I realize I've got this backwards and I turn it around. So now I go the opposite way. And I realize my phone is where my, about where my car was parked. So I'm looking all around. It's not on the ground. And then I realize just inside the window, this map doesn't have to be super accurate, just inside the window, like five feet away, is the trash can. And I think, did I throw my phone in the trash? <laughs> so I walk inside the restaurant. And she remembered me from 10 minutes before. Amazing memory. I said, I think I threw my phone in the trash. She looks at me and she goes, happens all the time. I said, but I didn't take a tray. Apparently, I grabbed it with all the trash and threw it in with the paper. Kidneys. She pulls out the trash can. I'm dressed about like I am today, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm finding this phone. I don't care if somebody poured their nacho cheese all over the inside of this trash bag. I am getting my phone. She gets a glove and puts it on. And digs in this trash can for me. If you have a hankering to go to Taco Bell, Rockland Road, Taco Bell is your place. (laughs) She pulls it out, wipes off nacho cheese. (laughs) Which is really not something we should eat. I think it goes into your veins the same way it appears on your stuff. And there it was. The difference in the two was what I was willing to put out, to pay out, to get my phone back. In the first round, there's no way I'm giving that guy $300 value-added tax. No way. In the second round, if this dude sitting out here in the parking lot has got my phone, we will have words, and I will finish with my phone. And now I, 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 it's simply about value add. It's simply about what I was willing to do to get something I valued back. Because the value of something, listen carefully, the value of something is based on what you're willing to pay for it. What you're willing to sacrifice for it. So here's the same deal. I went into a store and I made an agreement with a guy behind the counter. I looked at him and I said, how much do you want for that? He said, this is what it will cost. I reached into my pocket and I gave him money for this phone. Do you know what money is? It's the representation of little bits of your life 
that somebody has paid for, right? Somebody says, I will hire you for so much an hour and I'll give you this money at this rate if you'll do it. And so you give them your time, which you can never get back in exchange for money, right? You see how it works, right? You get the picture. Well, that's what I have here, right? I went into the store and I said, dude, I will happily give you this, this time of my life that I have spent, these hours and days of my life that have, that have brought me enough money to purchase this from you in exchange for it. The value of something is based on what you're willing to sacrifice for it. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 3. The story begins before we're introduced to these people. If you want to look in your Bible, it's verses 16 to 27. Just verse 27 is on the screen. The story begins with two women. They live together. They're roommates. These women are in the oldest profession. That's all I'm going to say about that. They are both about to deliver children. They are large with child. It's been about nine months since this thing got started, and it's, this baby's cooking, and it's about time. These two women both have babies within three days of each other. First woman has a baby. I'm assuming woman number two is kind of helping her through that because they say, the story says, there was no one with them. They had no family. They had no midwife. They had no one taking care of them. You know, once you get certain places in your life, your family abandons you. Once you make certain decisions, people start moving away from you in your life. So they only really had each other. They had no one else to comfort them or assist them. And so woman number one has the baby. Three days later, woman number two has a baby. And, in, and I'm sure that woman number one, as best she could, is helping her to deliver her child. In the middle of that night, the third night of the life of the first baby, the first night of the second baby... The mother of that second baby tragically rolls over on her baby in the night, suffocates the baby, and the baby dies. She wakes up, discovering what she's done. Hatches an idea. She gets up, takes her newborn child, walks over to the other woman, and puts her child down next to the other woman. She grabs the living child, She goes back to her bed and she lays there with a living child. Now think about what that says. I think about how she valued the relationship with the only person who was willing to be there with her when she bore her child. She steals the other woman's child and lays it down beside her. In the morning when they wake up, the first woman, the woman who had had the child three days before, feels the cold body of this newborn lying next to her. And she assumes what all of us would assume. My baby's died during the night. The other woman who has now kidnapped her child feels sorry for her. She takes the child sobbing, heartbroken that her three-day-old child has died. 
And as the sun comes up, and light begins to filter into that house. The Bible doesn't say they had lit any, lit any candles or anything. It says that as it became daylight, she recognizes that this isn't her child. If you've seen a mother go in to a nursery with 30 little crying infants, brand new babies in it, they never have trouble figuring out which one is theirs. The fathers are there like, uh, uh, which one says Groff on the crib? Because uh, they all look the same to me, man. The mothers never have that problem. She recognizes that this is not her child. She confronts her friend and her argument begins. This argument gets heated to the point where it goes to one of the judges in the community. That judge says, I can't resolve this. It goes up a level to the next level of judge in that city. I can't resolve this. They finally take this all the way up to the Supreme Court of the day. Solomon himself. You know the story. It's a famous story. The story's about Solomon, but it's not. It's about this baby. The baby gets brought in, and they, they bring the baby before Solomon. They still tell the story. In the telling of the story, the argument breaks out. Not my baby. Her baby. Not her baby. My baby. And it goes back and forth. And these two women, they're in front of Solomon. The Bible says that they start arguing right there in front of the king. You remember, right? Those of you who are familiar with the Bible stories, you remember this story. Solomon says, get me a sword. The sword is brought to the king. He says, cut the baby in half and give him each half. The woman whose child it actually is says, no. No, don't kill the baby. Just give it to her. The woman who has stolen, kidnapped this child says, go ahead, cut it in half. And Solomon says, the woman who values the child enough to sacrifice the heart of a mother is the child's actual parent. Give it to her. You know what happens the next day, right? She kicks the other chick out. She gets herself a new roommate. The value of something is decided by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. This mother says, Oh no, oh no, king, oh no, my lord. Give her the child. I'll go home, I'll put away the baby clothes, and put them in the drawer. I'll take the cradle that I've been waiting to lay him in, and I'll put it away. But don't kill the child. The value of something is determined by what you will sacrifice. I think that for all of us, there's a question, right? There's always a question in, in the scriptural point when you start to look at these things. What are we sacrificing? And for what? What are the things we have costing us? 
And what are the things we might have if we valued things differently? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says this about you. Peter trying to explain to the early church members how God feels about them and what it means to follow him and how, to be, how, how that should motivate their life and change things. You know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. You know that life was going in a bad direction and God found you and he rescued you and he paid a ransom for you. They know it. I know it. You know it. Your life wasn't going anywhere until Jesus got a hold of you. Now, I pray that that for some of you, and I think it's true of some of you, you had godly parents who brought you up in the church, and those godly parents took you to Sabbath school early on, and you learned about Jesus really, really early. So you made a lot of choices and avoided a lot of mistakes. Some of you had such a messy life. You don't tell people your whole testimony, because if people knew your whole testimony, they wouldn't talk to you. If they knew the whole story and all the craziness that you have walked through and lived through, you don't tell that story to, to very many people. Very few people actually get that story. How did, you, how did you discover Jesus? Hey, I was leading a life that was not going anywhere good, and I followed Jesus, and now things are much better. And that's what you tell the stranger. And those people who are closest to you know how close you were to a living hell. When Jesus found you. You inherited this from your ancestors, and it was, he paid for you not with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It's funny to me because we're still hanging on to the gold and the silver, aren't we? Nobody's saying lost its value. You know when gold and silver lose their value? When God starts using them to pave streets. He paid for you with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless spotless Lamb of God. The value of something is determined by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. Do you realize what that says about you? That every single person in here, every child, Every mom and dad, every great grandma, grandpa, aunt, or uncle, every single one of us was so valuable to God that he would rather die than have us miss the opportunity to go home. There were no guarantees, remember? There were no guarantees that we would take this deal. And millions of people, billions of people have refused it. But he would rather die for the opportunity of choice than to have us all be lost. That's how valuable you are. Take a quick peek at the person next to you. Or at the back of the head of the person in front of you. Or just take a quick peek. You've never seen a person who wasn't valued like this. The person who makes you walk across the street, 
because they're, they're on the side smoking weed, talking to themselves, or shooting something up, and you kind of cross the street because, man, I don't want to get involved with that. The precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God for them. values of our world get a little twisted. In fact, they get a lot twisted. The most precious thing on the planet are the people. The most precious thing on the planet. Your kids. Have you ever lost your kid? You ever lost a kid you were in charge of? Ever lost somebody's dog? Our kids, hope I'm not watching this, have this dog that they absolutely love. As far as I'm going in the description, lest they know exactly which dog it is, dog was left in our charge. The dog turned up missing. Stinking little escape artist. We're combing the streets for this dog. We, there's a park behind our house. We're wandering around the park trying to find this dog, calling this dog. We call the cops. Have you guys seen a dog? Looks like this. We're asking people on the street, hey, we're looking for a dog, looks like this. We're looking up to perfect strangers at about 10 o'clock at night saying, have you seen a dog? It's amazing how that statement opens a conversation and compassion. I don't know what else you could, did you see my, did you see my hamburger? Nobody's going to talk to you. Did you see a dog? Word starts getting out. Somebody's looking for this dog. This is what the dog looks like. Cop says, hey, I saw a dog like that. We get a phone call. Somebody tells us where they last saw the dog. Praise the Lord. We found the dog. Dog went home with the parents. Up to now, they haven't known. But we were panicked about just telling our kids that we lost their dog. Ever lost your kid? Even for a few minutes? Ever lost track of somebody else's kid you were watching babysitting? Something like that? You will shake the world to find that kid. It'll be all out SWAT team search to find your kid. Signs posted. Hundreds of people will join the search for a kid lost in the woods. We last saw this person, this child, on this mountain two days ago. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of people will go looking. Helicopters, airplanes, policemen, firemen, forestry. Because intrinsically we know the value of a person. 
precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. We live in a place where the values are getting turned upside down. We live at a time when people don't understand the value of their neighbor, but their phone? Don't ever try to take that out of their hand. They'll shoot you for that stinking phone. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it describes how Jesus feels felt in that moment when he was paying the deal. You know, you know capitalism is based on agreement, right? I walk into Gary's business. I say, Gary, I need this. And Gary said, well, if you need that, it's going to cost you this. We now have a decision to make. I have to decide whether I'm good with Gary's price or I want to negotiate. Gary has to decide whether his price is his price or he wants to negotiate. We arrive at a deal, I give him the money, he gives me what I've asked for. It's as simple as an ice cream stand. You walk up to the ice cream stand, you're hot, thirsty, hungry, wanting something sweet. You say to the ice cream woman, hey, I want an ice cream. The ice cream woman says, okay, two bucks. You reach in your pocket, you pull out two bucks. Now you could say two bucks is too much for an ice cream. Or you can say... Here's my two bucks. Thanks. And you know what happens at that moment? The ice cream woman says, thank you for the two bucks. You know what happens to, the, uh, to me when I'm taking it away? I say, thank you for the ice cream. That, my friends, is what everything in our country runs on. Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, According to the description of how he felt that day, it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Now, people get this joy all messed up and they think, oh, yeah, well, it's the joy of going home. No, he left home. He knows home. This is the joy of getting back to home. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross disregarding it, thinking like it's nothing, disregarding the shame, disregarding the penalties, disregarding the pain, disregarding the whole deal. He went at it, went about it, because he knew the value of you. He knew the value of getting you home. The joy set before Jesus, the joy set before God is when the kids start coming through the kingdom's gate. Sitting around that table, with thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of his kids. It's a big table, man. And he knows everybody who's present. And he knows everybody who's absent. At the end of the scriptures... The Bible says that part of what will happen with you and I is that God will wipe away our tears. 
There will be no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more death. And there will be no more pain for you and I. Do you know who has pain for eternity? The one who knows who's missing. Here's the deal. The value of something is determined by what you're willing to sacrifice for. How much do you value the lost? (laughs) Shoot, how much do you value church? I don't want to give you too much of a guilt complex. I just want to give you just enough. Because our values are all messed up. God values his morning time with you. He values those prayer times, those devotional times. He values those times when you're going down the road, listening to a song that touches your heart spiritually. And, and it, so, it so touches you that a little tear forms in the corner of your eye. He values that tear. He values that emotion. He values that moment. He values that connection. So much that he was willing to die to make it happen. That's the amazing thing about this. He was so excited for you and I to get home that he disregarded the cross, its pain, its suffering, and its shame. So that doesn't really matter because the kids will get home if I do this. That doesn't really matter because the kids are the things I value. That doesn't really matter because my lost children need me to do this so that they can choose to be home. Wow. Next week in this building, we will do this again. And we will do it because we all need to remember how much we're valued. Because we all need to remember that the people who work for us, the people we work for, the people we buy ice cream from, the people who live next door or next door or across the street or behind us, are people who are valued like And we need to be challenged in our heart to love our world. Romans chapter 12, and this is my last, last piece. I urge you, brothers and sisters, if you were to back up and ask what the therefore is there for, it's because of the grace of Mercy, incredible love of God, and how much He values you. That's what precedes this. Since now you understand how much you're valued. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that everybody on the planet is do that mercy if they want it. 
This ticket has been paid for. This price is settled. The money has been doled out. The cost has been paid. The precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God laid out for every other person on the planet, everybody in our family, you, me, the people next to us, everyone. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, which He wants to give you and everyone else, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer everything you have, right? Offer whatever you've got. Offer your talents, your skills, your abilities, your money, your house, your stuff. Offer everything you have. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. In view of this mercy that he has, offer him everything you have. Offer him everything you have. This is your true and proper worship. So here's the here's the twenty first century, right? The missionaries have already died to, to reach the unreached, right? There's no work left to do. Right? Or is there? Is there anyone left on the planet worth sacrificing for? Is there anyone left on the planet worth realigning my thinking and my values for? I'm too old. Those days are past. I'm too young. I have nothing to offer. Is there anyone left on the planet that you'd go back for? If they were in a car wreck, if they were in a burning building, Is there anyone left on the planet that you value, that I value like that? Let's pray. Father, that you did not abandon this little blue dot in this massively expansive universe. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to take on the form of a human being, degraded by thousands of years of sin. that we might just have the chance to say yes. 
Oh, Lord, it's easy to get caught up in my own world and my own life and my own stuff and whether I got my phone or I lost it. Help me to see my friends, my acquaintances, my neighbors, the person on the street as someone Jesus died for. Someone who was worth the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God. Help me to change my own value set. Help us to see our fellow men as you do. In Jesus' name.